right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the FearCast. This is the podcast dedicated to OCD, anxiety, anxiety spectrum disorders, and getting your life back. I'm your host, Kevin Foss. I'm a licensed therapist specializing in OCD and anxiety, and thank you all for joining me today. Uh, for those of you who are new, uh, this is a question and answer based podcast where you can send me questions. Go over to fearcastpodcast.com, click on the submit a question link, and you can send me a question for the podcast, and I will. I read all the questions. I consider them, and I will likely put it up on a future episode. Um, if you would like to skip the wait, which there is a little bit of a wait on right now, I've got a backlog of questions, and I want to hit as many of them that I can. I'm going to try to honor as many of them. I've uh, and and if you want to skip the list. Send me an audio, record your voice into um, the voice memo app on your phone and email it to me at questions at fearcastpodcast.com, or you can uh, upload it to Google and, uh, and send me in uh, at the submit a question link, send me the audio or the, excuse me, the, uh, the, 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 the shared Google link there. I'll get it. Uh, go over to Instagram. I am a fearcast podcast over at Instagram and you can send me, um, uh, you can send me an audio message there, and also uh, follow me over there. You can check out some stuff. I will. Um, I, I have announcements for the podcast. Sometimes I'll post questions. Sometimes I post silly memes. Sometimes I, I post posts that say feelings are stupid, and um, no one seems to like those. Um, apparently, everyone thinks that feelings are amazing and always good and always wanted and always believable and always factual. And if you do. Well, welcome to the podcast, right? Instead, what we're trying to do is to treat feelings a little bit lighter. Maybe not take them as seriously. I have a stance that says that feelings or that OCD isn't really a thought problem. It's a feeling problem. We're giving the feelings so much intensity. I will often say, if you had the obsession, the obsessive thought, that doubtful thought, and you didn't have an unwanted feeling state, you didn't have anxiety or nervousness or worry, would you do anything about it? Or would you go, that thought's dumb, and move on? I'm willing to bet it's that. And furthermore, when that feeling arises, you spend a ton of time arguing with it and telling yourself that doesn't make any sense. And here's the thought. And here's Let me go through this whole long, elaborate argument about why that thought is irrational. You maintain that this is what you believe to try to shut up the feeling. So it's a feeling problem not necessarily a thought problem. Because we all get intrusive thoughts, right? Even I do. You do. I do. Your mom does. Your dog probably does too. Everybody does. When we get intrusive thoughts, we treat them as brain stuff. It's the side effect of having a human brain. And it's great that we can have intrusive thoughts. We love them. They're fun. They're weird. They're interesting. They take us on fun adventures. They take us back in time. They take us into the future of things that could be. They take us into fantasy land of how weird would it be if this would happen. And sometimes they remind you of something terrible and scary. And then that feeling shows up. And now all of a sudden you're off to the races. So, we're going to talk a little bit more about that. Um, for those of you who are new to the podcast, because you saw our talk at the IOCDF conference with uh, Kelly Frankie and Lauren Rosen, thank you for joining. If you are new to this, um, I hope you like the podcast. I hope it's, uh, hope it's um, educational and helpful, and I hope I'm not uh, too obnoxious. I'm moderately obnoxious, and I... 
I, I own up to that, I suppose. But um, either way, thank you all for joining me. So we have three questions. Well, two questions and a comment um, that uh, that I'm going to go over today. Um, I'm trying to kind of get through questions a little bit to kind of get to get caught up and to, I don't know, see what that feels like to um, fly by the seat of my pants and to see who's going to send questions during that week. We cannot rely on a backlog. Sounds terrifying to me, but um, well, that's where I'm, I'm going. <coughs> Excuse me. And if I'm coughing... It's because I'm on the heels of being sick again. Could you believe it? Last Thursday, I got sick. It hit me. Boom! Hit me. I got sick again. Congested. Nose running. Um, I, I feel chills. Like um, Saturday after one of our talks, I got in my car and I was shivering so aggressively. I didn't drive for like five minutes. I just turned the heater on in my car just to warm me up because I was shivering so much. I, it was not safe to drive. I was that cold. It was bonkers. Um, I eventually got home safely and... Um, uh, but and then I went through like, like the chills went away, and then I went through like night sweats. I don't know what it is. It's not COVID. I tested. So did the missus because she got it too. No one knows what it is. Either way, a bunch of other people I I have spoken with have also gotten it. Spoken online. I didn't give it to them in case you're wondering. Sassy voice. Anyways, um, there's that. Uh, on a fun note, I'm I have half written a hypochondria health OCD episode. I want to do it so bad. I just need to sit down and dedicate my focus to finish writing it. I get, keep getting distracted by getting sick and writing other articles and f trying to fix up my silly house. Um, things are happening, everybody. All right, let me have some coffee, and then we're going to get into these questions. Oh, okay. So, this first comment comes from Cassidastrophobia. Now, I may or may not be pronouncing that correctly. Um, I understand the, the um, I will say it again, Cassidastrophobia group on Facebook typically just calls it CASA or CASA, 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 however you pronounce it, however you pronounce it is, we just pronounce it differently, right? Different emphases um, on the syllables. The, um, so cassidastrophobia is a fear of falling into the sky or, um, or sometimes it's, you know, gravity stops working and you float up into the sky. Um, I did a whole series, gosh, a while ago now, um, on different phobias. Uh, I called it Phobia Friday. I thought it was cute. And um, so you can go back and check this out. I did maybe 10 episodes on different um, different phobias that you know you may or may not have heard of. And um, Cassidastrophobia was one of them I did. So someone is commenting on that, and they are calling themselves Cassidastrophobia. They say, I really appreciate that you did a podcast about this phobia. I had no idea that this was uh, really a fear, um, a fear of anyone else but myself. When I was in first or second grade, we would all have to sit on the basketball court and do attendance uh, and do attendance count of oh, attendance count. This was an interior setting, and I remember looking up at the ceiling and I remember being absolutely terrified. It wasn't just me being terrified because, uh, or uh, it, it wasn't just me being terrified because of looking, uh, looking uh, or laying down, looking up, but also sitting up and knowing without looking up how much taller in height the ceiling is in comparison to me. Every 4th of July is awful for me because I hate that my family likes to watch fireworks. I get, uh, I just make, 
I just make an excuse so I don't have to go. When I look up at the sky, I'll always remember the first time I felt the cassidastrophobia. I just try to ignore it in the best way that I can. I don't enjoy being outside, but that doesn't mean this phobia is the reason why. For myself, I fear the root of the fear. I feel, for myself, I think... The root of the fear is heaven and falling into nothing without gravity, but not even going to heaven, just falling and not having anything or anyone to catch you falling into nothing. So, um, that's, that's their comment. Cassidastrophobia. I, uh, I I appreciate that comment. And I, I think it's, um, first off, uh, it's, 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 it's interesting, isn't it? When we look back at the first time that we remember an anxiety or a fear or even depression or even, you know, the first time we were just legitimately angry or legitimately, um, you know, worried or felt disconnected. But the, the, in this case, the first time that we remember a phobia and what it was like, there can almost be, there, there's almost the sense of epiphany, like something just clicked and this is how you see the world now. I'll sometimes talk about it with my clients as like this BCAD moment, um, meaning like, um, or BC, BC, or no, BCE and CE, uh, before current era and current era. Um, I believe that's how they refer to it now. Anyways, you know how like they say like, you know, 4,000 years BC, that's before times. Anyways, so um, for those of y'all who don't know, how how dates work, anyways. So it it can be weird, but I, I appreciate this comment. And what I, what I like about it as well is that it points out that people can have different stories related to their fear. With phobias, oftentimes the story is going to be pretty consistent. It's going to be kind of be, kind of the same across the board. But you know, for some people, it can just be very general and broad. For some people, it can be very specific. Um, but I think a lot of the commonalities from from what I understand from other people who experience cassidastrophobia is this is this kind of worry of disconnection or or feeling maybe out of control or feeling um, you know like something is changing and you're going to be you know floating off into nothingness right the and by the way the 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 thought of nothingness is also it's a whole other fear and I forget the name of it I probably did a whole podcast episode on it. I forgot the name of it they're all very obscure names. But either way, Cassidestrophobia, I appreciate you sharing their story. They, they didn't really ask a question in this. It was just more of a comment. So I, I just felt that I wanted to, uh, felt important to share that other people are out there, Cassidestrophobia, other people out there experiencing this, fearing this, and finding a way to work through it. So um, as I mentioned, uh, exposure and response prevention can be really effective for this in terms of facing your fear. I would encourage you go to 4th of July fireworks, go outside, look up, look up at big buildings and small buildings and sit under trees and then go into fields, um, go onto freeways, go onto bridges, uh, go onto the beach uh, where it's really wide, go onto a football field and go right into the middle and look up or maybe lie down on the ground and look directly up. You can build into those things and you can build a hierarchy of, of things that you would be willing to do and would likely trigger your anxiety and start with the easiest ones and go do those things and do them regularly over and over and over and over and over again and let yourself feel uncomfortable. If you're feeling uncomfortable, you're on the right track. You're going to push yourself and it's going to feel uncomfortable and eventually the, more, the longer you stay in it, 
it's going to feel less uncomfortable. Now, it doesn't just happen or doesn't just disappear after the first time. You have to keep doing it. Think about it as practice. You're getting good at feeling uncomfortable and good at being outside and letting that anxiety pass, as it will. But we have to go. If we, if we go and then we retreat really quick, we never give ourselves the chance to learn that one, our biggest fear, your biggest fear of falling into nothingness is unlikely to happen. And two, that you can handle that fear. So uh, I will leave that one there and move on to another question. But again, if you have a question or comment about anything from the Phobia Friday series, or even have a fear or phobia that you would like me to go over that uh, I, that I didn't discuss, uh, there are a zillion. But I, if there's one that you would like me to go over, I'd be happy to do it. Go over to fearcastpodcast.com or find me over to Instagram. I'd be happy to go over it. All right, next one. Next one comes from Melissa. Melissa says... Hello, my mom already knows that I have OCD and depression, and I sent her articles and videos with information about OCD so she can be informed. However, she never looked at them. How can I get her to be more supportive, understanding, and helpful? Not having support has put a dent in our relationship. I love your podcast, by the way. Thank you, Melissa. So, Melissa, uh, man... This is such a hard one. Um, I, I, I'm so glad that you found the podcast and hopefully hearing other people's stories, hearing other people's ex, uh, experiences and struggles and maybe even successes and maybe even you know my silly uh, guidance and, and maybe advice uh, has been helpful for you. Um, even if you're not getting the support from from your mom, hopefully there's you found a broader community of people. And there are people on Facebook and Reddit and a zillion other forums and Yahoo groups. Yahoo groups don't exist anymore. Um, uh, IOCDF groups um, that uh, that that can be. Re- uh, reassuring, comforting, and, um, and helpful. I'm just, um, I'm, I'm lacking words. I need coffee again. That's what I need. Uh, that's exactly what I needed. Okay. Melissa. So you've sent her the information. I mean, one of the simplest things that you could do, if you haven't done this already, is simply check in with her. Simply check in and say, hey, did you get a chance to read those things? She might, ha- she might be busy. I don't know what your mom's doing. She might be busy and haven't had a chance to do it. She might have mi- misplaced them, simply forgot about them. Um, I- I'm, what I'm doing ultimately first is giving her the benefit of the doubt um, and saying maybe she's, you know, maybe it's not malicious that, and, and intentional that she didn't read them and that she's not being supportive. Maybe it's just that she forgot. So start with a simple reminder, checking in, you know, Hey, do you want, do you want me to send you other stuff? Um, you know, maybe I gave you articles. Would you rather videos? Maybe I gave you videos. Would you rather have podcasts? Uh, if you don't want podcasts, would you rather have a, you know, a tangible magazine? Um, you know, check in with her to see what format would be best for her. Maybe she commutes a bunch and a podcast is going to be really helpful. I don't know. But simply checking in and asking. Now, it's also possible that, um, you know, she did get them and, you know, she's, she's uh, uninterested in reading them. I mean, I, 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 well, before I even get into that, one thing that can be helpful to get people on board and to be supportive, because, you know, we, 
Unfortunately, most of us are not psychic. I say most of us, like there's somebody out there who is. Anyways, the um, people are not psychic. And now I'm going to hear from psychics or people who think that psychics exist. Anyways, <clears throat> bring it. Bring the criticism. So the uh, so we can't read people's minds. Your mom may not know what support you need or what support you want or what support would be meaningful to you. Now, all those things can be ever so slightly different. But sometimes we need to just prompt the other person in our life with things that we need. Or, man... Uh, again, more benefit of the doubt. Maybe she's doing stuff that she thinks is helpful and supportive, but isn't. But she thinks it's supportive and wonders why you don't feel supported. I don't know. A lot of things can happen. But either way, sometimes we need to prompt that other person. Um, I, I have gotten into this with people in my life who are not supportive or aren't supportive in the way that I need it. Sometimes, again, we support people the way that we want to be supported and not the way that they want to be supported. Uh, it's kind of, you know, it's a, it's a human flaw that we have. We, you know, think that everyone's like us or wonder why everyone's not like us. So, we need a little reminder. Sometimes we can say, hey, when X happens, could you do Y? Or, you know, gosh, mom, when I feel really stressed or anxious, um, it would mean so much if you could just say this or do this. Now, it doesn't mean that they're going to do it exactly the way that you want. Um, sometimes some, we, we need their participation. They could say, you're asking too much of me. Or they could say, you know, I, I feel uncomfortable doing that. Or they could just simply not do it, quote, perfectly the way that you want them to. So we need to work with them and talk with them and, and find something that's going to be meaningful to help, to help. So the other thing you can continue to do then is, or it, in, actually, no, in, in association with that previous statement, um, people need reminders. Again, sometimes you'll say, hey, mom, could you, do, could you just do X? And she'll go, oh, I can totally do that. And she does it, and it feels great. And then the next time it happens, you feel X, and she doesn't do the thing. She does her old behavior. It's not that she's being malicious or hateful. She forgot. She's out of practice. Remind her again gently, hey, remember that thing that we talked about? And she'll go, oh, gosh, right, you're right. I'll do that thing again. And then she'll do it, and then she'll forget. We need slow, steady, gentle reminders, kind reminders, um, and hopefully that can help sh slowly shift that behavior into um, something that, that we're needing um, or that would be helpful. Now, um, so, let's, so let's then say that she's being malicious. We also need to remember that some people don't understand OCD and don't care to understand OCD, or they don't care to understand mental health. Unfortunately, there are people out there who are not going to be supportive, or uh, is for a, a myriad of reasons, and... Um, you know, I'm not going to make this a, a podcast about beating up on those people. It's, it is sad. And if, Melissa, that is the situation you're in, I'm sorry that you are in that position. Sometimes we need to also then mourn the loss of that type of relationship that we were going to have with that person or that type of relationship that we thought we were going to get or maybe expected to get um, from that person and realize that our relationship with that person is going to be different 
And that support and encouraging and understanding and helpfulness needs to be found in other people. This can be a hard shift for some because, you know, you're talking about your, your, your mom. You, you want her to be supportive. You want her to be caring, but maybe she's not and maybe, she, maybe she's resisting it. Um, I wonder if there are other more softer places to land, people who do care about you, who are understanding, who want to be with you in on this, on this battle that you're in and this road that you're on. Maybe investing time with them and sharing with them what you could need or want. So there, there's a lot more that you could unpack with that. Um, and if that's the case, I, you know, I, I hope that's not the case. I hope the first couple uh, things I talked about are going to be more helpful for you and um, we'll be able to get things back on board. Um, another, I don't know why I'm even suggesting this, another thing you could potentially do, um, if it feels too confrontational with your mom to bring up these things, maybe send an email Maybe send a text message, maybe write a letter and kind of put it out for her. Some people are going to say this is really passive aggressive. And, you know, it, I suppose, might be depending on the tone of the letter. But if you were to casually send her a text and say, and, and to say, hey, did you happen to read over those OCD things? It gives her some time to respond, to consider it, to maybe ask a follow up question rather than sitting her down in the living room and confronting her with this question of yours. So there, there, there are a number of different ways that you could go about doing it. Um, you can process these things with a friend if you have a friend who's you know pretty down to earth and reasonable, and process that with him or her. Um, if you have another family member who knows that maybe mom isn't the most supportive, you can talk about it with them and how you two can, um, or how you two can uh, conspire to express these to mom. Um, or maybe you can talk about this with a therapist. I hope you are working with a therapist on whatever you're struggling with, the OCD and depression, obviously. But um, hopefully you can you can chat about this stuff and, and um, maybe make some steps towards the relationship. Because, you know, it, it, I, I bet... It, I wonder if she knows that her her not giving you that support has put a dent in your relationship. And I bet she'd be willing to do something or to meet you halfway or to take a step toward you in some direction or to take a step in your direction in order to mend that relationship. But we need to be able to communicate that and also be willing to have some give and flexibility with them and what they're willing to do. So, Melissa, I hope this has been helpful, and thank you so much for this question. And uh, if, if you had a conversation with your mom and things are, are better or different, um, let us know. I'm sure we'd all love to hear what worked, what changed, what didn't work, and, and what needed to change maybe within you um, to, to keep moving forward. So, again, thank you so much for the question, and um, again, send us, uh, send us an update when you get a chance, if you can. All right, this last question comes from M. So, um, so again, something that I've, I've mentioned before, when you send a question in to me, I have a couple of different categories that I need, uh, that I will ask for. One, I ask for your real name, and I say this will be kept secret. I do, because the next category is name used for the podcast. It could be real or fake. This person's name is M. I do not think their, their, their parents gave them the name M, but they would like to go by M. So I'm going, I'm calling them M here, just like Um 
because we, I would like a certain, you know, people want a certain level of anonymity. You can have it. Um, I do ask for your real email address. If you do not put your email address, I will not respond to it. I will not put it on the podcast simply because if if you if you don't give me your email address, I have no way to contact you if your message is about something horrific or life-threatening that that I, as a clinician, am, would need to follow up on or would want to follow up on. Um, uh, not, that, not that we have a clinical relationship within this, but I want to connect you with somebody who can actually help if there is some of that information. So I do ask for your genuine, real email address. But again, that goes nowhere. I don't share it with anybody. I don't sell it. I don't use it. I'm not going to email blast anybody with this. It is simply for that purpose. Uh, all of this is outlined in the FAQ on the website. Anyways, I'm diverting myself. Anyways, M. Um, M's question. <coughs> there we go with my coughing. All right, they say, hi, Kevin. I just recently started listening to the podcast and it's helped a ton. Well, thank you, M. And I'm glad it's helped. Um, I've been dealing with HOCD for almost a year. Uh, HOCD, uh, it's homosexual OCD, now called sexual orientation OCD. It's OCD about one's sexual orientation. Anyways, I've had it for about a year now, um, and I've seen a therapist and am now on medication to help with some of the symptoms. Some days are better than others, but a new development I've um, I've been having is when these things are when things are going well, aka not obsessing over my sexuality, my mind returns back or. My, my mom reminds me of, quote, the time when I was questioning my sexuality, end quote. And it brings me right back to those thoughts, if that makes sense. For example, I'll be having a good day when little to no, or with little to no intrusive thoughts, then something will spark a memory of a time when things were really bad with my HOCD. And, I'll t- and it'll take me right back to it. It's super frustrating because I'll be feeling like I'm finally regaining control over my life. Then the memory of, quote, those weird thoughts and feelings I used to have, end quote, hits me. Uh, it hits me like a wave, and then, uh, and then said weird thoughts and feelings creep right back in, and I'm back to square one. It makes me feel like there's no end in sight, which is super depressing. Wondering if you had some advice on how I might be able to reframe my mindset when it comes to being reminded of my HOCD. Thank you very much. Emma, thank you so much for it. So, um, so yeah, I, one thing that I do want to point out, I, I think you, you kind of alluded to this, um, is, is the sense of regaining control over your life. There's an element of, of sexual orientation OCD that is, that is kind of, we've talked about it as the core fear. The core fear of it being not that one is actually gay or not that one is actually a, a, their, a, another sexual orientation, but that things are, that they are not their authentic self. And perhaps in your case, M, it's feeling out of control, feeling like you are and feeling out of control certainly feels like we are not ourselves. We're not grounded in our present place in our present person. And that can feel distressing. So I, I wonder if the core of it for you is more that rather than just simply one's sexuality. But anyways, I, I, I digress when we're talking about that. 
I mean, so w- what you're talking about is, I mean, it sounds like you've, you've had a lot of progress in your treatment. Things are going really well. You have long stretches without, you know, having noticeable intrusive thoughts or noticeable overwhelming bouts of anxiety, which is fantastic. Um, but then you say sometimes you get this, you know, the, something reminds you of, of it and it sends you right back to it. Um, oh, and you, you then say it feels like you're right back at square one. So I'll start there, and we never start back at square one. I want I, I want to uh, I, I want to hopefully stop you from using the phrase "I'm back at square one" because you're not. You have the blueprint for all the progress you've made, and you are you, all you have to do is continue to get back on the horse and do the things that you've always done. Do the things that were helpful in therapy. Do the things that helped you to refocus, to uh, resist compulsive behavior. And we just keep moving forward. So you're never back at square one because we can never be back at square one. Square one means going back to a time before you did therapy. You can never do that again. You, have, you are someone who has gone through therapy. I cannot go back to a time in my life when I have not gone to college. Let's say I, let's say I was the, the, the billionaire winner. I was not. Um, and by the way, I think that if I won the lottery, I probably would still do this podcast. I probably would. This has been really fun. I've been really meaningful um, and, and enjoyable. So anyways, but it, let's say I, I won the lottery and I say, you know what? I'm quitting my job as a therapist and I'm just going to travel the world. Traveling the world has nothing to do with my degree. My degree was in clinical psychology. So if I did nothing with my degree again, that doesn't mean that it erased the experience that I had in college. That is still there. It just means that I am on a different trajectory now. You cannot go back to square one. You are still a person who has the grounding in being, or in someone who has gone through therapy, worked with a therapist, done ERP, done CBT, has regained some uh, control over their focus and their attention, and understands what what OCD is and what it is not. And you have been able to uh, weather the storm. You'll never go back to square one. You had a setback. You had a hiccup. You tripped. You fell a little bit, you skinned your knee, and you get back up, and you keep trucking forward. That's what we all do when we have our setbacks. When I have my setbacks with my crazy man thoughts, when I have setbacks with depression and frustrations and all that stuff, when you have setbacks with intrusive thoughts, we have setbacks. And we get back up and we keep on going. Now, the other thing that you said was um, when things would randomly pop in your mind and remind you of the time that you were questioning your sexuality. So you can spend a little bit of time, I wouldn't say a lot, but a little bit of time thinking about, are there patterns to this? Are there places or conversations or people or experiences that tend to bring you back to that place? Because we can start to then anticipate those places. It doesn't mean sit there and scour your brain for any minute thing that could have triggered you. But if there's something that you're like, huh, when I was, you know, last time I got, I, I got that, that, that random thought that sent me back to that place. You know, I was just leaving, just leaving work and I had a stressful day. Okay, I'll note that. And then next time you have it, that thought, you can note, gosh, you know what? I left work and I was having a really stressful day huh, I wonder if stress has something to do with it. Or maybe if you had an argument with somebody you love, that brought you back. Or you had a disagreement. Or you maybe said something that was embarrassing and not quite you, and that sent you back. 
Sometimes when we say things or do things that miss the mark with our authentic self, it can feel like we're not ourselves or we're mad at ourselves. Like, gosh, man, I should not have said that. And then that can sometimes for some people be a trigger to their thoughts about sexuality. Remember, if it's if it's a fear that you're not your authentic self, if you are acting in a way that is outside your authentic self, sometimes that can be a trigger. Not saying that's it for you, but that's it for someone out there, I'm sure. So, um, <coughs> excuse me. That um, So, you can think about a pattern and just keep an eye out for that. So, you can anticipate it, and then when it happens, you go... You know, maybe I'm just stressed at work or maybe, you know what, maybe I'm just feeling guilty because I, you know, I shouldn't have said that thing to that person or, you know, that would, man, that's not me. That's not the type of person I'm trying to be. Well, this kind of brings on that thought because that's what my brain does. Now, to that end, I think that is the way to treat this is that your mind still does mind things. Your brain does brain stuff. As I mentioned at the top of the show, sometimes you and I are going to get intrusive thoughts and they're going to just slam into us, sometimes aggressively, sometimes very calmly and lovingly. And they're going to remind us of the past, the future, the fantasy, stuff that is relevant to us, stuff that is near relevant to us, totally irrelevant to us. It's going to be all over the place. And that's what the brain does. Now, your brain randomly reminds you of, quote, that time that I was questioning my sexuality. Okay. We can treat that as a thought, a passing thought. Like, you know, there, there are all these analogies. They're like clouds floating through the sky where they're there for a time and they take shape and then they dissipate or they're there and they take a shape and then they morph and take a different shape and morph and take another shape. There's another analogy about the ocean where our mind is like the ocean, where sometimes on the surface, there are these big waves that crash up and sometimes it's really tumultuous uh, uh, surface uh, or a tumultuous ocean surface. And sometimes it's placid and smooth. But once that, if it's, if it's tumultuous and that wave comes crashing up and maybe this is the wave that is that time that I was questioning my sexuality, it will eventually crest and crash back down, back into the ocean and disappear into nothing. And then another wave will take shape. And that might be that time that you won the, I don't know, uh, won the, you won the track meet. I don't know. The time that you played your, your clarinet in band and everyone said, Good job, M. I don't know. Random thoughts. But you might get a random thought about that. You might get scary thoughts about the past. You might get worried thoughts about things that have not happened and will not happen for many, many years. We get random thoughts and we treat them as just random thoughts and we let them come in and go out. We let the clouds float above us and move past us. Um, there is a quote that I'm not going to remember exactly who it's from, and I'm probably going to mess it up. It is something like, and it's, it's from a very smart person that is definitely not me. I, I'm about to say Martin Luther, but I, I might be wrong. Anyways, um, it says something like, you know, you can't stop the birds from flying over your head, but you can't stop them from making a nest in your hair. So I love that phrase because it's hilarious to imagine, but... It's, it's true. We can't, birds are going to fly all over the place. Thoughts are going to fly all over the place. But boy, you, you and I can stop a thought from, from, we can stop a thought from taking hold by not grabbing onto it. 
by not by not holding on and, and fighting with it and questioning it and worrying about it and really making a big fuss over it, right? That's the way we stop them from nesting in our hair. The clouds are going to fly overhead. Why make a big fuss about it? That big wave is going to come up in the ocean and it's going to crest and fall back into nothingness. Why make a big deal about it? It's funny. <coughs> As as we were talking about, or as this, um, I've been answering this question, I've been reminded of a time in the past when something, when I did something stupid, and it was embarrassing, and it was so, it was, it was sad, and it's, it, it's, it's not even, it's, it's funny in the sense that it's so uncomfortable for me to even think about, and I, my mind periodically just goes, hey, Kevin, think about this, from, from, right, here you go, think about this. And I go, oh God, that one. I'm going to share it now just because I feel like I have to. But it's so it's so aggressively embarrassing. <clears throat> it is a time back in high school when all the embarrassing things happened, and I was in band to no surprise. And I was playing bass, bass guitar, uh, probably my first year of playing bass. And I was in some little like com like jazz combo. It was like me and some drummer and then like these two guitarists and they were like everyone else was really good and then there was me. So um but one of the guitar players who's super freaking good, he was also blind and he was killing it in the band. And um so we were on stage and um this was not during a this is not during a performance, this is during some sort of practice like you know third period or whatever. And we had to go from the stage and go back um, down the front of the stage and turn a left and then go um off uh kind of uh, out the building and then go back into the band room as as things work out that way. So they said, Hey Kevin, can you help this person? And I'm forgetting his name. Um it wasn't Colby. Cody. It might have been Cody. It's, I think it's actually Cody. So, um, Cody, if you're listening to this, you're not. I'm sorry for what, if you remember this. So, um, I, I'm taking, I, you know, he said, they said, hey, can you help Cody, you know, go down the stairs and, and go over? I was like, yeah, sure. So, you know, I've got my bass in one hand and, you know, he's, I've got his hand with my hand and I'm guiding him down the stairs. I stupidly was too much to the side and did not give him enough space for stairs. So as he's walking down, he slips off and falls down like three steps. And it's so embarrassing. I'm so embarrassed to even talk about it now. And all of you are probably saying, Kevin, you're a horrible person. And my brain sometimes goes, Kevin, you're a horrible person. And I've, and I thought that at that moment, Kevin, you're a horrible person. Why would you do that? And, oh, M. That is one of my thoughts. Now, I'm not saying that my thought is the same as your thought, but I say it as these are thoughts that zip in without our asking them to come in. By the way, he was fine. I'm going to say, I'll say that before I shut down that story. He was fine. He got up. We, you know, I asked him if he's all right. He said he was okay. We went on with things. We played probably later that night. Things were great. He's probably a professional musician, not listening to my podcast. Anyways, so he, um, as things went, you know, as things went by, again, I continued to have them have this thought that just zips in and fills me with sadness and annoyance and dread and cringe. And <clears throat> you can treat your thought the same. It slides in and you go, oh, that time, that time of annoyance, that time of frustration. Well, 
Thanks, Brain, for that dumb thought. Thanks, Brain, for the reminder of that thing that I did. Well, ugh. But that's it. That's all the action that we need to do. I am not going to go call Cody, find his email address, see what he's up to, to try to figure out if he's okay or if he's harboring some resentment against me. I'm not going to, and nor am I going to spend any amount of time thinking about it, other than what I just did with with you all. With you, M, this thought pops in, and we don't need to grab onto it. You don't need to grab onto it or question it or wonder what it means about your progress. What it means is that you have a human brain that reminds you of things. And it's kind of, you go, oh, there it is. Some people might say, oh, cool. From an act perspective, they'd say, you go, thanks, brain. Thanks for that one. I've talked about it in terms of dead squirrels. If you listen to earlier episodes, these are dead squirrels of the mind. Um, I can elaborate on that, but I shan't. Um, Let it float in. Let this float out. It's a reminder of your past and nothing that needs to be done about it. Period. So, um, I, I hope that is a way to reframe this, to reframe your mindset as you asked for. Um, and I hope this kind of guidance has been helpful for other people. And I hope that my story about me being um, uh, absent-minded as a teenager has been adequately embarrassing. Um, it has on my end. I don't know how you are feeling about it. So I'm going to cut it quits or cut it quits. No one has, has anybody ever said cut it quits? I'm going to call it quits here and cut it short here. So thank you again, everybody, for trucking through these episodes <coughs> oh, and dealing with my continued disease bagness. Um, everybody, as a reminder, um, if you have a question for the, for the podcast, go over to fearcastpodcast.com, send me a message over, over there. If you want to cut the line and you send in that question and your question will be on the next episode that I record, send me an audio of you speaking or shoot, I don't care. Have a friend read what you wrote and send it on in. Uh, you can send it through Instagram or you can send it through the website at fearcastpodcast.com and uh, I'll get it and I'll put that up. So, oh, and again, you don't need to say your name. Um, you, do, you don't need to say your name. So it can be anonymous. But your voice is so much more interesting than mine, uh, and it, it makes it more personal for everybody else here. So, um, again, I hope everybody is doing well. I hope um, this episode has been helpful. If you have um, feedback for this episode, if, uh, if you think that uh, maybe I missed something, you can send me a message at fearcastpodcast.com, or you can send me a message over to Instagram, and uh, just let me know what, we, what addition I should add, and I will put that on a future episode, um, uh, it, it, and that would be fantastic. So... Um, as a reminder, everybody, please remember that the FearCast is not substitute for psychotherapy. If you need a little bit of help and assistance in your recovery, go over to FearCastPodcast.com, and there's going to be a, a Find Help link. Click on that, and there's going to be some stuff there that might be helpful in pointing you in the right direction. So until next time, everybody, take a risk, challenge yourself, and don't take that brain of yours too seriously. Bye.